I want to talk to you about a part of being human that for many of us we seek to avoid at all cost. I want to talk to you about loneliness this afternoon. We don't have too much time together, but uh, if you have a Bible with you, perhaps you could turn to the book of Genesis for me. And we're going to read from Genesis chapter 1. How do we understand our dilemma for relationship, our hankering for connectivity, our passionate interactions from the perspective of the scriptures? Well, let me just highlight a couple of things for you. Verse 29, sorry, verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, now up until this point, the, the creation story is one where God is opening up all kinds of wonderful things. He's created day, he's created night, he's created uh, vegetation, he's created all kinds of beautiful things. And God said this in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So let me just go back to the verse that I started thinking about with you as we understand or seek to understand the whole concept of relational dynamic in our life. The first thing it says for me in this scripture is that we were created out of relationship for relationship. Notice it says there in verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. And so for us to understand where the great passion of our souls for connectivity uh, begins, we need to understand that we were created out of relationship for relationship. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, coexistent and living eternally, have the most wonderful relationship with each other. And out of that beautiful community of lovers, God spoke and said, let us create man in our image. Let us create together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us bring into reality, bring onto the earth a reflection of the relationship that we have here in the heavenly realms. And so what kind of relationship is that? Well, we know that that relationship is exclusive because no matter how important you are, you're probably not going to be invited to be the fourth member of the Godhead. We also know that that relationship is eternal. It doesn't have a beginning or an end, that God has and will always exist. And so it's not a temporary interaction with humanity. God is reflecting our eternal nature as he creates us out of his eternal realities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know that they're a community of lovers who affirm one another consistently. And as we think about the Trinity, we start to understand that actually that's the real hankering of our soul, which is to be in a relationship where we are consistently blessed and consistently affirmed. So the Father has only great things to say about the Son, and the Son only great things to say about the Father, and the Holy Spirit sits in the middle of those beautiful realities, and he champions a closer, deeper, more profound connectivity. He delights in both the Father and the Son. And so out of this beautiful union of lovers, out of this beautiful trilogy of, of perfection, out of community personified, God created humanity. It doesn't say, let me make man in my image. It says, let us make man in our image. And we know that the 
image-bearing reality of God is that we were created out of this beautiful relationship to experience the most profound and glorious relationship. Firstly, with God, and secondly, with each other. So God created mankind in his image. He created them, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And there was something about that blessing that was indeed a reflection of the blessedness of what it looks like for the Trinity to coexist and eternally be exclusive with one another. So we are created in relationship. Out of that relationship, we have been formed and we have been created for relationship. Now, go over, if you would, with me to Genesis chapter 2, because we pick up the story with a slightly different perspective. For the gap between Genesis 1 and now Genesis 2, we understand that God created and desired to have relationship. Out of who the Trinity is, he desired to connect with an external reality, which for us is humanity. And we were brought into this beautiful dynamic of relationship with God. But you'll notice, as I have when I've read through this, that actually it starts with Adam being alone in relationship to God. And I want to talk to you, if I can, about why that's important. You see, I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's not a person in this room who hasn't had moments where we felt alone. You can be in a massive crowd, you can have tons of people around you, you can be surrounded by people who claim that you love, they love you, but actually sometimes when we're left in the silence of our truest identity and reality, we feel quite alone. And we do everything in our power to avoid that. That's why we have televisions and iPods and all kinds of various things. We want to be consistently distracted from our God-given aloneness. And yet God in his infinite wisdom, when he created humanity out of this beautiful intimacy of, of lovers, he created us to be alone and to be alone in this world in relationship to him. Now, how many of us struggle with aloneness? Let me tell you why I think it's a problem. Because to be alone with God actually requires of us a whole request of interactions with him that are profoundly and gloriously awkward. And I think we do everything in our power to avoid them. You see, the church consistently says that it values that God is with us. And yet, if you're really honest, would you not testify that one of your greatest and most difficult battles is the battle to be alone with God? The battle for intimacy is the battle that we fight daily. We desire such intimacy. We crave such intimacy. We're conscious of our aloneness and we are created to connect with the one who has created us. But actually just about everything possible that we can put between us and God, we put. Let me explain what I mean. We put relationships with other people before God. And this aloneness is something that relationships with other people will never truly satisfy. Because you were created to be on your own with God. There are some things that with relationship with God can only actually happen when you're on your own. And we do everything in our power to avoid being alone with God. And aloneness is not a bad thing. It sometimes gets mistaken for loneliness, but aloneness actually is a good thing. And let me talk about aloneness. Aloneness causes this world that I live in 
to fade away and I come to a clear reality of my intimate calling to be in an affectionate relationship with the God who created me. Aloneness makes me very aware of my brokenness. It makes me conscious of my sinfulness. And aloneness drives me to a place where I have to lean into relationship with God so I can connect with him to satisfy the cravings of my heart. Aloneness is a good thing. In fact, it's the one thing you've been avoiding for the longest time. And actually, you come into this world alone and you leave it alone. And actually, as you journey with God through this world, you will have many times where he orchestrates some issues around your life so he can be on his own alone with you. Aloneness, solitude, causes us to reflect on the reality of our human state. It causes us to engage with God in a way that we can't in a crowd. And it allows the voices and the sounds of this world to be silenced. And we start to hear the still small voice of Almighty God reaffirming who we are in his presence. Aloneness is really good. That's why the scriptures say, be still. In other words, come away from the volumes and the interactions with other people. Come away from your busyness and your responsibilities. Come away from all of the things that distract you from the one thing that will change everything about you. And come to God in humility. Come to God with a desire to connect with him gloriously. And you will find that your aloneness actually will be rewarding. Now here's the interesting thing. If you connect with God in your aloneness, you start to have a hunger and a thirst for greater measures of solitude and silence. And actually, there's something about that that's really good for the human soul. I watched a documentary a number of years ago, and I was quite startled to find out the fact that actually it's very, very difficult to find any space on the earth right now where there is total and absolute silence. Everywhere you go, there is noise of various levels and interactions. You know, we think if we go out to the country that we'll, we'll miss some of the traffic noise, and, and there is some element of truth in that, but actually it's very hard if you were to record a, a, a noise level where, was, where there was very little interaction of, of vehicles, you would find it a real struggle in this particular generation to find somewhere where we could, we could have just clear sound. The world is full of noise. Your life is full of noise. There is a committee inside of you that's full of noise. And you will do everything in your power to prevent yourself from being alone with your thoughts, the reality of who you truly are, not the Facebook persona that you present to the world, and your deep woundedness as a human being. And when you come to that place of stillness and aloneness with God, that's when you start to hear God reversing some of the, the noise that has created distortion in your life. He starts to speak and he starts to speak life over you. Well, being still is a good thing for me. It's a great thing for us, but it's probably one of the hardest things we will ever do with our lives. And if we really want the craving of our heart, for relationship and connectivity to be satisfied, it must first be satisfied in relationship with God. You know, somebody asked me recently, what is it like to be married? And I, I'm very honest as a person. You know, most of the time it's really good. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult. Is there anybody else married here today? 
You know, I, I thought that when I got married, every single need in my life would be met. I was utterly shocked to think that she thought the same. She thought every single need in her life would be met. And, and this is how I would describe my interactions with God and my wife, Jane. God is my cake and she is the icing. So the substance of my life, the reality of my hunger and thirst for connectivity, for real relationship, for absolute transparency, for a moment of stillness and silence where the world that I live in here becomes a reality in connection with God, actually can only be satisfied by God. And if I don't satisfy that relationship or those cravings with God, you will find that you'll go from relationship to relationship to relationship, hoping that somebody else will fill that void in your heart. And that isn't the order in which we were created. Let me highlight it for you again. Time is moving fast. We were created out of a community of lovers as a reflection of God's love to live in relationship with him and have fellowship with others. But the first stage of Adam's reality as a human being was not in relationship with Eve. He was alone with God. And in that aloneness, he was defined by that relationship. There was something very beautiful about the fellowship and friendship that Adam had with God. He valued his relationship with God so much so, and so did God with Adam, that they walked in the garden in the cool of the day, like friends do. A real bond, a real connection, a real sense of of fellowship and tabernacling with the God who created him. And notice as you read on, as I do in Genesis chapter 2, after that, God says, as he looks upon Adam's state, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, what he's saying to us is this. He's not saying that what Adam had with God was inferior to what Adam's about to have with Eve. What he's simply saying to us is there is a part of Adam's nature that can only be satisfied by another human being. Adam has already established and experienced the profound reality of relationship with God. And if you like, the cake has been cooked. It's time for the icing. And so I'm sorry, ladies, if that sounds superficial. I don't mean that too. But wouldn't it be good to be called a sweet thing? Because there could be some sour tones in the icing too. So God puts Adam into a deep sleep. And out of that he takes a rib and he creates woman. Now I want to just highlight something to you here that I think sometimes gets lost for us in church. Because we have a very masculine approach to the thinking we have around God. I would like to say, and I'll probably be told off for this by someone somewhere, that I actually don't believe that God is male. Actually, I think he's neither male or female. Because the reflection, let us make man in our image, is not just a masculine invitation. Actually, God goes on to, to create woman. And I believe that there is enough evidence in the scriptures to say that God has both male attributes and he has also female attributes. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. And while we talk about the father heart of God, and we rightly should and keep doing so, God also has a mothering heart. He has a heart of compassion, a heart of mercy, a tender heart, 
sensitive heart. And so when God created Adam and he created Eve, God created a fuller picture of what the Trinity really looks like. He created the dynamics of his masculinity and his femininity in humanity. And so Adam was complete whenever Eve came, not because he was incomplete in solitude and aloneness with God, but actually the aspect of God's femininity was now actually rewarded to Adam as a reflection of the fullness of who God truly is. Now you're all flicking through your Bibles trying to find me out as a heretic. But I have a conviction that that might be true. You can weigh that for yourselves. So is one inferior to the other? Absolutely not. Is one superior to the other? Well, I think our relationship with God is superior to any relationship we can have with any human being. I think God ultimately is the one who satisfies the cravings of our hearts for true connectivity, vulnerability, transparency, and relationship. And unless that part of our lives is satisfied by him, we probably will have to kiss a few frogs before we find a prince. We probably will find ourselves looking for the right thing, but perhaps in the wrong places. So there's a difference between aloneness and loneliness. Aloneness is a good thing. It's a thing we struggle with as human beings because we have such a busy and I believe very sensationalized world that keeps us distracted from the one relationship that changes everything for us. And we have to be on guard with that. But if we seek first God and his kingdom and his righteousness, if our relationship with him is our most greatest priority, and I believe it should be, then you'll find that your other relationships with people start to work a little bit more coherently. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength. And out of that revelation, out of that reality, out of that substance, begin to love others as you love yourself. So, aloneness is a good thing. Repeat that after me. And I refuse to run from it. No, I didn't ask you to repeat that. I'm just telling you what I refuse to run from. it. I refuse to run from it. It's a good thing for me to be alone with my thoughts. It's a good thing for me to be alone with my God. It's a good thing for me to be alone with my brokenness. There's something very real and something raw and very honest about that interaction. And I will not run from that. That's a really positive experience for the human soul. But God also desires, not for everyone, I don't think it's for everyone, and I need to be careful here. You know, people think that if you're married, your life is perfect. And I would like to say the church has made a God of marriage. Being a little controversial today. Just some of the great men and women of God actually were single. The Apostle Paul, he did quite a lot for Jesus, didn't he? He wasn't married. What about Jesus? He wasn't married. I think we have made a God out of marriage. And you know, I sometimes, having worked with young people over the years, we think the answer to all their problems is to get them married off. It might actually be the beginning of some of their problems they didn't realize they had until they got married. And there are some who are called to live 
a celibate life and a separated life just for God, just for God and God's pleasures. You know, I don't think I've ever been in a church meeting where people talked about that. It's somehow considered in the church that we are inferior if we're not married or there's something wrong with us if we're not married. Can we renounce that lie collectively today? See, you don't want to do it, do you? You think marriage is the answer. Marriage isn't the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer A, B, and C, and right up to Z. Jesus is the cake. Relationships are the icing. So Adam's aloneness was the beginning of humanity's experience. But because of his unique human form, God created another person for him to relate to. Someone to reflect to him the dynamics of God that were feminine. We, we, as a community, have to start modeling, I think, a different reality than the way the world has a perspective on such matters. Because the church provides for the widow and the orphan, for the lonely, for the disenfranchised, for the excluded. A family and a context that reflects the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are called to be this glorious community of lovers who love God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our strength, and love our neighbors, that's us, by the way, as we would be loved ourselves. When I first became a Christian, I was living a homosexual life, and, you know, very quickly into that journey, God spoke to me about my my sexual uh, activity and in fact it wasn't too big a deal it sounds bigger than it is I'd already stopped having sexual relations with people 18 months before I became a Christian and um, I felt not convicted by God I just felt dissatisfied with that relationship dynamic so when I came to faith in Jesus and God spoke to me through the scriptures about the way I thought and the way I felt and the way I was orientating my life I actually found it very disorientating to find my place in an environment like this. I mean, I was so pretty, they didn't know whether to put me with the girls or the boys. That's the truth. And, and the pastor used to call me she because from the back, I had long blonde hair and looked quite pretty. It was very thin. I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? Very thin, very thin. And you know, I couldn't find my place. I couldn't find my place. You know why I couldn't find my place? Because the church had somehow fallen into the trap of assessing me by the way the world would assess me. In fact, they had gone further. They had judged me terribly. I think the biggest issue to the people at the time were whether I would have my hair cut or not. And I wanted to highlight to them there are much bigger problems. (laughs) Really, there are. Come on, seriously. Much bigger problems than the length of my hair. If only you knew me, you'd understand what the problems were. But there was one couple in the church, um, Amrik, who was, was a, an Indian man, and his wife, Lorna, who was from Northern Ireland. And they, they just befriended me, and um, they invited me to their house. You know, I never got invited to anything. Nobody knew what to do with me. And I think they used to speak in tongues as I walked towards them. You know, it was one of those kind of churches. <laughs> I've had everything cast out of me. I think I've had a few things cast into me, but thank the Lord that Jesus has delivered me from some of that. Because everyone was trying to fix me, 
And if you're here today and you're seeking faith out, there's nothing worse than coming into an environment where everybody's telling you subconsciously or consciously there's something terribly wrong with you and you need to be fixed. I hope we're not coming across as that kind of community. May the Lord not allow that to happen. And so they invited me to the house and I would sit up till four o'clock in the morning with this, this, this man talking about my problems and my brokenness and my pain. And, um, you know, he got up at 6.30 for work. And what I saw in those moments was the church reflecting the way the Trinity exists. Unconditional love. In spite of my pain, my brokenness, my weariness, my anger, my frustration with God and life, these people tolerated me. And, and heaven knows they probably prayed day and night for all kinds of great things that I didn't realize at the time. But that love, that acceptance, that place to belong without always believing everything was the beginning of God bringing me into a place where he started to affect my life profoundly. So let me just tidy this up for us as we draw our thoughts to a close. I've gone over a little bit, but please don't fall out with Jesus over it. We are called by God to him first. And our truest, most glorious connection with him is found not in crowds, but often in silence and solitude and aloneness in relationship to God. The community of lovers known as the Trinity created humanity so that we could share in that glorious, wonderful fellowship with God. And God has made a way for us to do that through Jesus Christ. Our aloneness needs to be taken seriously. We need to value it more significantly than we do. And we need to stop running from it. Because as long as you're running from it, you will never find the rewards of it. It's time to be still. And out of that, we start to understand and recognize how fully God he truly is. But God also has given us people. People that can affect our life for good. People that he has placed in our life that will value who we are in our honesty, in our vulnerability, in our brokenness. And actually will not turn their face from us, but turn their face towards us. And reflect to us what community here on earth should look like as it looks in heaven. And I think the church has the most glorious opportunity to make a way for people who don't find it easy to connect, to connect. But your aloneness will always be present. But your loneliness is an option. Please don't allow it to be optional. We love you. We care about you. We're interested in you. And you don't have to do anything for us to do that. The reason we can give love so freely is because we have been so freely given love by God. And I think the church is the best organism on the planet, I can't think of any other word, to reflect what real community, what real family should look like, what real lovers who love God and love each other can actually offer people who feel outside of the capacities that sometimes many of us struggle to find true, honest, and authentic relationships.